welcome to the Prescription Podcast. On this show, we present to you up-to-date facts on medical-related topics. We are your hosts. I am Ian, a surgeon. And Zichin, a gastroenterologist. We both practice in Kuala Lumpur. We are on Apple and Spotify Podcasts. Please follow us for updates on new episodes. And today, we are actually opening up a new season. We are in Season 2, Episode 1. And in view of the month of October, which is Pink October, we will be talking about breast cancer. And today... We have a guest with us for the first time. So we've invited my friend, Dr. Teo Lin, who is a breast surgeon who is currently practicing in the University Malaya Medical Center. And we will be grilling her today on the topic of breast cancer. Welcome, Lin, to the show. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi thank you so much to Ian and Jean for this invitation. Well, uh, this is the first time I'm doing any recording for the podcast. It's a great eye-opening session. Okay. Yeah. We'll be talking about breast cancer today. As mentioning uh, previously, and I, I and I read actually that breast cancer is now overtaken lung cancer as the number one cancer in the world, and probably in Malaysia too, right, Ling? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, our latest census has recorded about thirty four percent of uh, breast cancer, and uh, this is quite a worrying amount of uh, numbers that we are seeing. So um, we are getting actually more and more in those stage 3 and 4 coming to the hospitals instead of the early stages of breast cancer. And this has been happening for the past five years of the census that we have collected from 2012 to 2016. Hmm. Hmm. Well, hopefully with today's episode, we can create some awareness and hopefully bring people in a little bit earlier and catch breast cancer in the earlier stages. Mm, yeah, that's our aim actually. And uh, in yeah. conjunction with this being October, actually it's very important for us to create awareness among our public. Mm. Yeah, I think we'll yeah. share some material and links later for the rest of our listeners so that they can uh, assess this as well. But I think the number one, we'll start off with a few simple questions first. As I think per usual, how does one detect that they have breast cancer? What kind of symptoms or things that they should be looking out for? Well, those ladies who actually step into the clinic, actually presented to the hospitals, are usually those with breast lumps. And then just for everyone's knowledge, only 10% out of all breast cancers actually are painful lumps. So the 90% of it actually painless. However, there are some other symptoms that may come together or may not. Uh, For example, nipple discharge, which the worrying ones are the bloody ones, as well as some skin changes. Sometimes you may also notice some increment of size at your armpit as well. So the important thing that we actually want to emphasize is that through certain screening programs that we have, we are actually hoping to see those without any of these symptoms yet. Okay. I guess at this point of time, most of them should pick it up by when they notice that they have a lump in their breast. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, through our public awareness, we are actually encouraging all ladies, especially those uh, with a high risk maybe to start at as early as 20 years old. I mean, I'm talking about family with many, many cancers or else anyone above 40, um, 35 at least to start their own checkup at home. But I think there's a lot of YouTube channels that we could actually demonstrate to you all uh, on how to examine the breast. So uh, we usually encourage someone to actually examine a week after their menses, not during their menses in view of uh, possibility of pain and discomfort during the examination. So it's always a very simple 5-10 minute stuff during shower. You can just have a look at it in front of mirror, look for things like asymmetrical of the breast, one big, one small, and suddenly your nipples is being pulled back or any any 
changes that you actually see. You know your breast better than anyone of us. So I think, thanks Liying, that's very good take-home message there at point where, you know, we have to examine our breast a week after the menstrual cycle. I think simply because hormonal changes during menstrual cycle um, really does affect the texture and the contour of the breast and uh, may cause some alarm there and you feel some lumps and bumps. I think, but if in any doubt, I think going to a doctor for a suitable advice, that's the advice given here. But other than breast stuff examinations, um, what are the other available screening um, mm-hmm. modality out there you know, that, that you would recommend? Yeah, so thanks for the question. We have to emphasize that in order to get the diagnosis of a breast cancer, it doesn't mean that uh, you go to a doctor, the doctor touch and say that, oh, it's breast cancer. But we do these three steps of uh, management, which we call as a triple assessment. So the first assessment is what we say that get the doctor to examine you, all right? And uh, the second step, what the doctor would actually do is to actually provide you a further imaging. So imaging, which I meant is a mammogram, means that this is an X-ray of your breast taken for those uh, usually above 40 years old and those with symptoms probably 35 and above. And also usually it comes together with a complementary imaging called the ultrasound of the breast. So ultrasound is a non-radiation kind of imaging, so it's safe to be used for even younger adults. Don't be too worried that there's a lump which is painful and you're so scared of cancer because actually 90% of the painful breast lumps are actually non-cancerous. So the third step of the assessment usually involves uh, taking a lipid tissue. That is a very basic bedside procedure. Uh, it's not a surgery. Yeah, I think that one of the most common questions that people always worry about when they go for any kind of doctor checkup is, is it going to hurt? Right. I think that the mm-hmm. issue is I've heard is that mammogram can be quite uncomfortable sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. What what are your comments on that for our listeners out there? I, I think it differs uh, from person to person, but um what, what I can say from our point of view is that I think the newer machines actually provide a little bit better, I mean more comfort to patient as well as the increase in the detection uh, capability. So I, I think some patients might experience that most likely because um they have smaller breast volume. So when we actually try to pull out the breast, uh patient might feel comfort as compared to those uh probably with a bigger volume of breast. So, um, yeah, but the pain is just temporary. So I would like to say that uh, actually it's a very, very low dose kind of radiation um, to your breast. And it's actually an, almost an equivalent of taking a, a flight, you know, taking a flight to the US. You know, everyone wants to go off now, <laughs> especially after the, the <laughs> pandemic. But, you know, nobody actually complained that uh, I want to fly to U- US and uh, I've got this kind of radiation risk. But so many people are afraid of mammogram. Yeah, yeah I, I share the same sentiment whenever we ask patients to go for x-ray or some screening. Yeah, that, that's what they do. I think the radiation surrounding us is actually sometimes somewhat equivalent, right? That was always uh, asked, you know, how often do we need to do mammogram or ultrasound or this kind of examination if the last one was uh, reported to be normal? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have our national guidelines that, uh, that was published in 2019. So for any one of us, well, I don't want to reveal my age, all right? But <laughs> let's say I'm above 50, I would, uh, with an average risk, average, uh, average risk means that um, you don't have any strong family history or non uh, known genetic 
preponderance in, in the family. So we will start at 50 years old. We do every two years once, okay, but an annual checkup by a health professional. So that goes on up to 74 years old. So why 74 is because that looks at our lifetime, yeah, life expectancy okay. in Malaysia. But mm-hmm. let's say that you are 75 and you're still fit, we actually still encourage you to continue on with a mammogram two years one, right? Mm. I see. So that's very clear out there, right? Mm-hmm. So you 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 mentioned about high risk and any genetic preponderance. So mm-hmm. do we encourage people who has family risk factor, who has family history of mm-hmm. uh, breast cancer to go on genetic screening at a, a younger age, you know, so that they could start mm-hmm. breast cancer screening younger? And mm-hmm. lately, yeah, you know, quite a lot of celebrities as well have gone on checking the genetic, mm-hmm. like BRCA1, BRCA2, and then subsequently took some other preventive measures. Uh, what's your view on this? Well, I think all, all this hype started when uh, Angelina Jolie starts to have yeah. her own genetic screening because I think her aunt or someone has ovarian cancer as, breast, uh, as well as breast cancer. So she, she had what we call as a, a BRCA or BRCA gene 2, uh, which increases the risk of her having breast cancer, ovarian cancer, as well as other types of cancer like pancreas, esophagus, and in male prostate. So we, we don't actually generally throw this, um, I mean, a screening to all the public, all right, even though they have a certain family uh, with cancer. So what we usually do is we refer to our genetic counsellor. So from that counselling session, they will actually um, line out your family tree and see what other relation with the ones with cancer. And then generally, we don't run a genetic test yet for those who are not affected. It means that you do not have a cancer, but just because of worry, you, you run the test. So uh, some of the examples that we will probably give you a better idea of family history, this kind of genetic relation, are those with the bilateral breast cancer diagnosed very early, let's say less than 50 years old, or anyone with a first degree relative, means your mom, your children, or even your own parents who has uh, breast or ovarian cancer at a younger age, uh, less than 50 years old, anyone in your family with male breast cancer, which is not common at all because male breast cancer is only 1%, and uh, those with uh, many, many cancers like uh, pancreatic, prostate, and esophageal uh, cancer. Uh, yes, doing a genetic uh, testing is good to prevent yourself from getting cancer in the future, but it also has a lot of uh, consequences that you need to be aware of, okay? Well, number one, we talk about insurance, right? Insurance don't cover <laughs> once you know that you are carrying yeah. a gene. Yeah. What's going to be happening to your kids then if you are being diagnosed to have one of these uh, genes, you know, your, your children probably is uh, at the verge of getting married and then let's say that um, oh, they have to go for this testing. It gives a lot of stress, um, maybe unnecessary at some point of time, all right? But, uh, you know, you probably want to just let them know so that they can prevent early. So th- there's always this uh, pros and cons uh, before we do any uh, genetic testing. Yeah, th- there's a lot of implications to look onto yeah, on, on mm. all this genetic screening that we, if one decided to carry on, yeah, definitely like mm. what Lin says, pros and cons to weigh against, but always get a professional advisors. Yeah, yeah there are out there a lot of people 
recommending genetic screening, but you do not mm. know the how valid they are, whether they are professional enough to actually counsel you according to what Lee has mm. proposed just now. Definitely need some professional counseling. Yeah. Yeah, just to note on that, because sometimes when we don't understand the, the gene, we don't mm. actually know uh, what to do with it. You know, sometimes yes. they might just run 100 over genes, but then we don't yes. really understand. Yes. Yeah, same goes to uh, what I commonly see and being asked is hormonal testing. That's also another panel that people like to do out there and you are just stuck with all the results when you got it. So mm. there's a lot of implications. It's always, if one actually has the intention to actually do a genetic screening or somewhat, it is wiser to actually get a professional consult and let the professional guide you through the whole process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know, ge- genetic screening is probably something that's still quite new in Malaysia. And yeah. of course, there's always an issue of cost as well that needs to be considered. Mm-hmm. As we talked about mm-hmm. long-term-wise, what needs to be done. It's, uh, good information to know. Um, I think we should probably talk a little bit about what happens when someone gets diagnosed with breast cancer, yeah. right? Because there are early yeah. and probably later, I mean, uh, yeah, late mm-hmm. stages of, of breast cancer. And you you mentioning a lot of times that patients do come in with later stages of, of breast cancer. And I think the whole idea mm-hmm. of always doing this kind of talks or, or any kind of awareness uh, is to make sure that patients come in as early as possible. So there are there's a wide variety of treatments for patients with breast cancer nowadays, right? Maybe we want to talk a little bit about uh, what can be offered to patients nowadays. Yeah. 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 I think let, let's uh, talk in terms of uh, the presentation at different stages of your breast cancer. So let's say that someone presents uh, with um, early breast cancer that is stage one and two, or even at the precancerous lead, what we call it stage, we call it as the DCIS. So um, when we have this kind of patients, usually surgery would be the first option uh, to go. So uh, surgery, as in like a lot of people understand that breast cancer is equivalent to taking out my whole breast. So that kind of surgery is called as mastectomy. But um, for the past few decades, I think uh, almost more than 450 um, years ago, we have started to actually do less than do more. Okay, So uh, we actually have the option of uh, conserving the breast where we only remove the lump together with a rim of uh, normal breast tissue around that tumour. So um, what is suitable and what is not suitable? Well, you have to sit down based on your case to discuss with your surgeon. All right, But uh, generally, we would say that some cases which are not suitable for uh, conserving surgery would be those cancer appearing at many parts of your same breast, as well as if it's already at a later stage where it's already involved your skin or it's fixed to your muscle. Or maybe um, you have a lot of these um, mammogram abnormalities that we could see and some even uh, already involve the nipple area. And the most important thing is that your breast size actually matters. All right. So if you have a tumor of three centimeters in an A cup, A is the smallest, you know, talking about DE is a bigger cup size. So you have a three centimeter in A cup versus a three centimeter in a D cup. I'm sure that the three centimeter in D cup probably can be considered in, in breast conserving surgery. And, uh, I, I've always emphasized to my patient, if you want to conserve the breast, you need to do 
a radiotherapy. So radiotherapy is not something you can choose, yes, you want, to, or you want to do or you want to avoid. Okay, so it comes together with breast-conserving surgery because there are still breast tissue in your breast that we have not removed. And thus, there are some cancer cells that might be still around the area where we, we resected. So radiotherapy will be given to kill off all these cells. And then there, there'll be next question asking me, so can I choose between chemotherapy and radiotherapy? So chemotherapy is actually another whole different topic. It's a medication that is injected into your veins to actually kill off uh, cells that probably has already started to spread off through your blood vessels. So I always um, tell my patient that if you come late, it's as if like a tree with a very strong root. So if you want to chop down the tree with the root there, I'm sure that the next baby tree is going to grow. So it's always best to kill off the roots before you take down the tree. So that's when if you come in at stage three, um, which is already a little bit uh, advanced than the earlier stage, we were actually emphasized in giving something more uh, general, means that um, more systemic, covering all these cancer mm. cells that might have spread off, killing off the roots before we come to us and chopping down the tree. Yeah. So we are not the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's a very good uh, example actually for, for the patient to actually understand yeah, uh, mm-hmm. um, what do we do at different stages. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, so, those who come at the final stage probably mm. will not actually meet any one of us from the surgical team because yeah. uh, like we said, there are too many other um, little trees that have grown. So uh, we need time to actually really treat them with chemotherapy or any other uh, therapy that can be taken orally as well to control the disease. Mm. It's interesting that uh, the, the chemotherapy is, is compared to like a pesticide, I mean, or, or herbicide. Mm, yeah. Killing, <laughs> Good analogy there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So I think it's very individualized. Yeah. Right? It's, it's definitely mm. a very neurologic treatment. I mean, not to forget, there is also hormonal therapy, right? After your treatment, mm. yeah, depending yes. on the type of, of cancer. So I think yep. what patients are very afraid, of course, every step along the way, whether it is uh, at a screening point or whether it's a treatment point, I think for a woman to lose the breast, it's a very, very big thing, right? Because it signifies mm-hmm. mood the woman is mm-hmm. part of, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So like you mentioned earlier on, we have moved on to more uh, breast conserving surgery as to attempt to conserve the surgery. But in the cases that the whole breast is removed, I'm, I'm sure now we have uh, newer techniques to help kind of return the shape of the breast. Would you, would you mm-hmm. like to talk about that in terms of uh, reconstruction? Yeah, correct. For the past about two decades or three decades, we are actually moving, moving uh, forward towards what we call as a breast oncoplastic surgery. So uh, I've mentioned before why we call it oncoplastic because it's always cancer before cosmesis, all right? So our aim is still to remove the cancer thoroughly, so leaving no cancer cells. And then we hope that we can actually uh, re- re- uh, offer a reconstruction uh, to, to the patient. So the reconstruction is making a new breast. Either you do it immediately after the surgery in the same setting, or you can actually delay, probably delay um, six months 
later, uh, once you have completed all the necessary treatment, for example, chemotherapy, then we'll subject to another surgery. So the good thing about having reconstruction is that um, a lot of patients think that, okay, I am losing a breast, but when I wake up, there's still another, you know, um, a shape that I managed to retain. So they don't have the psychological stress of losing a breast, even for a short while. And uh, there are a lot of um, other reasons why we choose imme uh, immediate uh, versus delay. For example, patients who need radiotherapy and yet they, they prefer to have, for example, silicone imp implant. So a lot of problems if we, we actually put in an implant and the patient goes for a radiotherapy. So we will probably suggest this patient to have a tissue expander. They come back later for another definitive surgery. So all this has to be discussed with your surgeon. But uh, let me just give you a brief exposure on what reconstruction is about. So reconstruction can come into... Uh, Two, two, two big groups. One is using the implant, which is um, sort of like a synthetic, okay? The other one is using your own body, all right? So uh, your own body tissue means that we can take part of your muscle, your fat, even if the, uh, you need the skin, you can always take either from the back of your, your chest, okay, at the back there, or even your tummy area, as well as your buttock or the thigh. So some patients who desire a larger volume, um, maybe um, doing uh, taking taking from the tummy would be a better idea. We have actually um, those done under the plastic uh, surgeons as well as by us. Uh, normally, we will actually just do um, the pedicle flap, means that we do not remove the blood vessels and then try to join it back at the site of the, the previous breast uh, place. Because the risk of uh, failure of the free flap, okay, which is only done by the plastic surgeon, is slightly higher than what we are doing, the pedicle flap. So all these options actually um, need to be discussed individually. Yeah. So I think we have actually shared quite a broad aspect on uh, treatment and um, breast reconstructions. Yeah? A lot of time where uh, it creates a lot of anxiety. Uh, when the patient got to the individual got to know that they diagnosed yeah, with yeah. breast mm -hmm. cancer. Locally, um, is there any peer support group that's, that's available out there um, or any society you know, that, that the patient can seek support from uh, mm -hmm. once they're being diagnosed to have breast cancer? Yeah. Uh, in Malaysia itself, we have uh, quite a few associations who are actually actively involved in uh, uh, creating this breast cancer survival group. Okay. But the ones that I am uh, quite uh, affiliated to would be my own UMMC Candy Girl Support Group. So if you are free, uh, you can just log in to Facebook or Instagram. We, we always emphasize that there's always life after cancer. So mm. our, our breast cancer survival group is actually kind of active they have i mean before all this uh, period of pandemic they have uh, little groups uh, for zumba dancing for mountain hiking they actually went up to mount kinabalu before and actually we want to emphasize that with a very mm. healthy life um, actually with a moderate exercise every week it actually uh, helps to prevent cancer or reduce the chance of cancer coming back mm. and our uh, diet is also part of a very important uh, aspect yeah, I think yeah. interesting you brought that up because the number one question every doctor probably gets when it comes to cancer is, doctor, what can I do to prevent cancer? So yeah, is that your normal yeah. advice to those patients who come and see you? <laughs> Exercise and eat healthily and live healthily. That, that is only after, after you have taken the necessary uh, treatment, okay? Meaning mm. that you have gone through surgery, chemo or any hormone therapies, you know, then they are stable. 
yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think that uh, unlike colorectal cancer, you know, the, the relations with your diet and all is a little bit different here in breast cancer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but we, probably. We a little bit, but, but not very, very strong uh, relation. It's more of a, um, more of a female hormone uh, exposure. Yeah. Mm. Mm, rather mm. than the diet itself, yeah. 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 So I think I think with that, definitely you're talking about certain things will in, or change the hormones, right? Like oral contraceptive pills, or if they are mm. hormonal therapy for other things, all these are increased risk for uh, breast cancer, right? And hence, if any of these patients are on this, they should also be screening regularly, correct? Yes, yes. So mm. for risk factors of breast cancer, actually, um, we would like to categorize into those that you can change and those that you can't change. So those that you can change, um, being a female already increases risk. Like I said, you know, 99% are from female. If you have yeah. already family family history and all, so that, that you can't change. But what you can change is probably try to uh, maintain a healthy lifestyle if let's say you're at a higher risk already, maybe you try to avoid taking uh, oral contraceptive pills or taking certain types of hormone replacement unless it's being uh, advised by your uh, managing doctor. So um, yeah, if, if let's say that you uh, diet-wise, I think there's no really a hard fast rule saying that which um, food that you, you can eat or can't eat. So I think that the take-home message is that you have to eat in moderation um, yep. and uh, yeah, stay healthy. Yep, yeah, yep, that's yep, what yep. a gastroenterologist will say as well. <laughs> uh, I think all everything say, in moderation. Everything. <laughs> I think that's all what most doctors say. Yeah, I mean, at least that's what I say yeah. to all my patients. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think yeah, we 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 it was a very good uh, cover on the whole thing. We talked about uh, screening. If I just can just summarize a little bit. Um, yeah, we talked about screening and how to detect. I think we will try to put up some some videos for those who probably want to learn. And of course, if you have any doubts, any doubts at all, uh, you should immediately seek treatment uh, or seek um, advice of a doctor for further um, investigation and treatment. And I think lastly, is not to fear the type of treatment to discuss with the doctors because there are a wide variety of treatment out there and everyone has uh, probably specially tailored treatment for each individual. I think with, with that, uh, we've covered well as much as we can in this short period of time about breast cancer. Any last words, mm-hmm. Lee? Or... I think uh, <laughs> in conjunction with October, uh, just, just a, a reminder to everyone that uh, we have to be breast aware and uh, let's fight this uh, breast cancer together hand in hand. So right. don't be afraid of us. All right, great. Okay. So I think thank you, Lee Ying. I think okay. uh, that's thank quite a bit for today's session. Please do email us on prescription pod if you have any question. P R E S C R I P T I O N P O D at gmail.com. With that, I thank you for listening in. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.